Helen Damnation, Customer Care Department. Excuse me, sir. Give me one good reason why I should. Sir, I have a degree in deviousness and scriptural subversion. And I serve a full lecturing schedule. And I've just delivered one of the most important speeches of my career. Surely I'm entitled to a few moments pandemonium. Well, there's no peace for the wicked, sir. The flattery will get you everywhere. What's your name? Wormwood. Let's start with the basics, shall we? What's our supreme weapon? Our supreme weapon is that we do not exist. Sir? As far as our subjects are concerned. Even those who believe in um, him find it very hard to believe in us. And that's an advantage? Of course it is. If you don't know you're in a battle, you don't bother to fight, have you? We're not an enemy because we're not here. Simple, sensible. My dear Wormwood, I've got a little job for you. Your subject is the man with the red tie and the expression of a new convert. Which is? It's an awkward mixture of uncertainty, embarrassment, superiority. <laughs> this one. Yes. Your job is to start raising doubts, uncertainties, difficulties. Hmm. Doesn't sound like much of a challenge, sir. I'm going to try to get him to leave a, a sort of half-life. Neither one thing or the other. Wormwood! Get back here! Sir, I can't stop him. I tell you this much. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to remain looks around a universe where all trace of God seems to have disappeared and yet he still obeys. I'm not sure if you come into this place on a Sunday... And you're praying. Or maybe it's as you're driving. But you, you pour out your heart to God. You say, Lord, I need you. I, I don't even know what songs. I don't know what text. But I, I know your Holy Spirit is so active and I want to experience you today you know I heard the songs in warm up and I don't I mean every once in a while I'll ask Brendan to do a song but it's just not my strength (laughs) But there was something to me. As we just poured our hearts out to God, the truth, the praise, the power wasn't just songs. I thank you. I thank our band, our vocalists. Because there was every line, every part that was so powerful. We're in the book of Ephesians. Right at the end, next week, we finish this series. But Ephesians reframes the church. The church has a bad reputation for the most part. Church has its inner conflicts. There's leaders that seem to go off the reservation. And you find out about it really fast. But what, what Paul wanted us to understand 
is that Jesus loved the church. Not because it was perfect. But he knew that that was his plan to reveal himself to a lost world. And so Ephesians tries to reframe this as it clarifies and and describes this amazing community. It focuses in the first part of the letter about grace, our amazing standing, what God has graced us. And then the last four chapters, he says, because you're my son, because you're my daughter, because this is an unbelievable relationship, walk worthy. Walk as if you're the son and the daughter of a king. And he focuses on the last part of the letter, trying to paint for us picture after picture after picture of how different that is in a world of darkness. Paul writes to a mature Ephesian church. I've almost said that every time I've spoken. Because sometimes we look at his letter and we forget that this probably was the most godly, the most mature group of people that Paul had ever hung around with. And he had to remind them over and over again of some very basic things, but things that would just transform them as a church and as people. He's focusing a lot on what a healthy, spirit-filled life looks like and, and how as you stay connected and I stay connected that literally we're changed from the inside out. And so last week, if you weren't with us, it was a hard message. It was so convicting. Honestly, (laughs) 10, 12 times this last week, there would be a verse, and I would literally just fall on my knees and just, Lord, I need you. I, I just, I can't treat Sharon, my wife, the way you treated the church. I need you. And wives, had to be a hard week for you too. And kids, was this week completely different at the office for you? as you were reminded that that you serve Jesus? Did it stop you in your tracks recognizing that, oh, I need you, Lord. I need you. You see, spirit-filled relationships are light. They give hope. Even they're alluring in a dark world. People look at that and they say, I want it. I want that. Paul ends his letter in a grand style. Uh, Let me try to explain. For me, there's nothing like a movie that ends with an epic battle against seemingly insurmountable foe whose power is overcome by virtues like courage and fortitude and goodness and determination. For me, the bigger the actual battle, the better. 
Paul's letter ends talking about a clash between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. When we began this Christian life, and some of you just so recently, I know, we didn't stroll into a happy playground. We stepped into a harsh battleground. And make no mistake, Satan's snipers have used us in his crosshairs. They know us intimately. They have studied us for years. They're familiar with our strengths and fully aware of our weaknesses. They are the masters of psychology and the experts on human nature. They know their prey far better than we know our devilish predators. They just don't want to cripple you. They want to decimate you. Sometimes we treat our enemy like, well, he's a mosquito. But if I could paint a different picture, he's probably a raptor. We battle daily. Victory depends on our relationship with God, his power, putting on the armor and prayer. We can't do it alone. We can't. And I'm hoping I'll paint a picture of despair. But I do hope I paint a picture that's real. Because my guess is this. I don't know if you could be honest with me and answer this question. But when was it the last time that you thought of the enemy the devil, Satan and his forces pressing in on you. My guess is if it wasn't recently, I'm not here to beat you up, but I am saying this, the devil's smiling. The devil is smiling. They don't think about me. They don't understand my power. I don't live in fear. But I need to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying to this unbelievable group of Christians. And my guess is this. If he needed to remind these mature, godly Christians about this. He needs to remind us. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And I'd like you to pray with me. And I'd like you just to remind you about this. Because sometimes when you think a pastor prays or anybody prays, hey, that's what he does. Those guys pray. But you know what I'd like you to, again, it just maybe remind you, is that when someone prays publicly, you literally are praying with them. Just like in your worshiping. But you're, you're literally praying. Sometimes even out of your mouth comes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I, I agree with that, Lord. Yes, Lord, this is my heart. This is my desire. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes you say it to yourself. But sometimes we just see it. It's part of the message. And sometimes that guy prays too long. I would ask you, even now, moments, we're going to open up God's Word. The Holy Spirit is most active right now. There's no doubt in my mind. And He wants to be able to encourage and strengthen and convict. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. But I'm going to be quiet just for a moment as you kind of settle your heart. And then if you would pray along with me before we open up God's Word. Hmm. Father, we know you are a big God. We know you are in total control. 
We know, Lord, that there's an enemy. An enemy we really can't see. It's, it's not someone who's, well, it's not flesh and blood. It's spirits, it's powers, it's principalities. And they are hovering. Lord, I, I, I don't want to pretend like this is some sci-fi movie. In many ways, I don't fear. But in some ways, maybe I should. Lord, would you teach us today? Would you open our eyes just a little bit? Would you help us understand how relentless the enemy is? Would you do that today, Father? In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start off by reading Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 10, and I've asked Rachel to read for us, again, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll finish this off starting at verse 10. Final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I am doing and how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back just to verse 10. Paul starts off this section, a final word. This is a beloved church. This is a church which, again, he knows so many people. And he goes, hey, just one last thing. Remember, Paul's in prison. They all knew that. And it was maybe a highlight, the yellow marker. Not that all the letter wasn't important, but, but just like anything else. Hey, hey, one last thing. One last thing that I want you to remember, my friends. You're in a critical church. You're in a crucial church. And the town of Ephesus. This is so very, very important. So the imprisoned and impassionate apostle shares his heart here. And he starts off and says this, Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in your relationship with our Lord. Start there. I'm going to be talking about putting on armor in a moment. But what I want you to understand, the most important thing you can recognize, that you can realize, be strong in that relationship. It starts there. 
Remember, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? (laughs) Without taking a breath, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Be strong in your relationship with Jesus. It starts there. You can do a lot of things in your life, but start there. We talk about it so often, want to encourage you on this walk, this relationship, this journey, so you might be able to stay strong in the Lord. And then he says, same thing, be strong in his mighty power. If you stay connected with our God, you'll experience power and authority that's so far beyond anything you can even imagine. Even concerning this spiritual warfare which we're going to be chatting about. And then he says this in verses 11 and 12. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. This is an aorist imperative, which just simply says this. It stresses the urgency And how important this is. If you were just reading this letter, you would know this. It's hard to get sometimes in the English. But what Paul is saying here is put on all of God's armor. Make this your top priority right now. You don't understand how intense this is. It's got to trump everything. Put on the armor. The reason is that the enemy is spiritual. So put on this spiritual armor. Kent Hughes, former pastor in Wheaton, he wrote this. Satan has no conscience, no compassion, no remorse, no morals. He feeds on pain, anguish, and filth. So many times we think our fight is against, well, our neighbors, our bosses. Well, you fill in the blanks. God says, no. He says, our enemy, our fight, our battle is not against something you can see. It's not against flesh and blood. Our greatest enemy is not the world we see or the people in it. As corrupt and wicked as it is, rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness describe the different strata and rankings of those demons and of those evil ones. It's a supernatural empire in which they operate. Human beings who promote paganism, the occult, and various other ungodly and immoral movements are but puppets of Satan. Now look at verses 13 through 17. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. And let me just stop right there. And maybe again you mark your Bibles and you circle things, but this is the exact second time that he has said it. And any time in the scriptures, once is pretty powerful. Second, he is not stuttering. He is not forgetting that he had already just mentioned it just a few lines before. He's trying to emphasize something that's so very, very critical. Be strong in your relationship with God. Be strong in his power. Put on the armor. We're fighting against things and principalities you cannot see. Put on the armor. Wow. So that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, 
you will still be standing strong. The enemy is real. The enemy is active, even relentless. But believers, those who are part of God's kingdom, those who have received Jesus Christ by faith and are sons and daughters of God, we do not have to cower and we do not have to walk around fearful. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus' little brother wrote this book. And he said this, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There is a great passage in 2 Kings chapter 6. You can turn there if you want. If not, I'm going to share with you just a little story about the prophet Elisha. Elisha was one of those guys that um, lived in a very difficult environment. But he was given the task of being God's spokesman. And so the scriptures tell us in 2 Kings chapter 6 that the king of Aram was uh, at war with the Israelites. But every time the king of Aram made some advances, every time, Elisha would let the king of Israel know exactly what was happening. Well, you can imagine the king of Aram was a little ticked. How come whenever we go fight this battle, they know we're coming? How come every time we hide, they know where we're hiding? What is the deal? And he got this news. Well, king, there's a guy named Elisha. And he's got this connection with God. And every time we make a move, he tells, well, Israel, what's going to happen? (laughs) Well, that really ticked off king the king of Aram. And he basically said this, let's go get him. Let's destroy him. And the scriptures tell us, he said, literally he sends a great army, this is for one person, of chariots and soldiers to take him out. Well, the scriptures also tell us that the following morning, Elisha and his servant get up. Servant's over there making some coffee, looking out the picture window, and his jaw drops. (laughs) They're surrounded. This is not a good thing. For one thing, they have, uh, well, swords and spears. This is not going to fare for us. And and he goes running into Elisha. He says, Elisha, Elisha, they're out there. The enemy's out there. We're dead. We're cooked. And Elisha says this, don't be afraid. Now, if you just stop right there, what do you mean don't be afraid? Well, like, aren't you seeing the same army I'm seeing? I mean, this is not looking good. He says this, for there are more on our side than there are on theirs. Then he prays, and he says, Lord, open up my servant's eyes. And at that moment, all of the celestial beings appeared. Now, yes, there were armies outside in the ground and armies that were ready to take over. But all of a sudden, well, the servant began to change his perspective. (laughs) I didn't know that. I didn't know all this stuff was around. Those guys are dead. We don't have to worry about anything. Don't we, Elijah? Why didn't you tell me this earlier? Like, this is so cool. Yeah, it is. And that's our God. So he says, therefore, therefore, put on all of the armor, so you will be standing at the end of the battle. Specifically, resisting and standing happens when you put on all of God's armor. Now, granted, he is talking metaphorically right now. But look how he aligns the armor. 
as we put on all of God's armor, you are protected from head to toe against the enemy, against the weaponry, against the advances. First of all, it just says, put on the belt of truth. Our belt is truth. Now, again, warfare is a little bit different now, but back in the Romans days, the big fat belt that they had would be literally used to take the tunic and tuck it in so that the legs could be free and could move around quickly. Our truth is the Word of God. We're to know the word so that we can speak truth to ourselves, speak truth to others. You know, as a shepherd, as a pastor, I don't know if I do, I don't know if I do anything more than this. And that is to sit down with people, encourage them on the journey, and speak truth to them. Not Rick's truth, but God's word. Secondly, our body armor is God's righteousness. Armor, this armor is to protect, well, the vital organs. There's no doubt almost every police officer, almost every military person, this is all standard now. Didn't used to be. But it is now. The enemy is relentless about our past, about our failures, and about our shortcomings. But God's righteousness covers us. We stand justified, fully forgiven, and protected. In Romans chapter 3, verse 22, Paul writes this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter where they are. The enemy loves to bring up our past and our failures and our shortcomings. But if we understand who we are and that Jesus Christ died for us and paid our debt for our sins, past, present, and future. Our shoes are the message of peace. It's a message that that you can be reconciled to God. At one part, you're apart from God. But, But no, you can experience peace. Ideally, these shoes were for fast moving, hand to hand combat. They had great traction. But the idea is this, is that anyone who wears these shoes, puts on the full armor, that we can move in quickly with good news. We can let people know that they can have peace with God. They can be reconciled. They can have a relationship. They can live abundantly now and eternally someday. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. Our shield is faith. So you will be able to stop the fiery arrows. At least in this Roman way, the the. Shields were approximately four feet long, a little less wide, but in battle the shields could be literally locked together if they needed to do that. One of the things I know in the scriptures is that we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow and put up this shield as the enemy, well, is relentless in his attack. I need to grow in trusting God. And what I have found out again, not only do the scriptures say it in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, but our faith grows as we understand God's word, as we listen to God's word, as we obey God's word. Every one of us can grow in our faith, no matter where you're at, so that you might be able to stand up against the enemy. 
Our helmet is salvation. And for me, I really look at this because there's so many others covered. I think the assurance of salvation is critical and that right here, there's a few aspects or a few facets of salvation. We've already talked about justification and how we are justified because we put our faith in Jesus. But I think the helmet of salvation focuses a little bit more on the present aspect of salvation. That Jesus Christ came so we don't have to serve the power of sin. We don't have to listen to sin. We don't have to come underneath God, or under the authority of sin. And so instead of living defeated lives, we can live fruitful lives. And the enemy can't overwhelm us or burden us down. And lastly, our weapon is God's word. Oh, it's so important. It's so important in connecting with God. It's so, much, it's so important in every one of these aspects. That's why every time people gather in a ministry here at Cross Point, God's Word's always given out. It might be one verse. It might be a long passage. But it's God's Word that is going to, well, give us the strength and the power and the perspective. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, The author of Hebrews writes this, For the word of God is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So God says, "I, I have given you equipment to stand up against the schemes and the wiles of the enemy. So not only we stay strong in our relationship with God, stay strong in His mighty power and put on the whole armor, the last thing, the final word that He says is pray in the Spirit. Look at verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching the message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. He's encouraging this church. Pray at all times. Pray every opportunity you have. Stay alert. Be persistent for all believers everywhere. All times and every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent. We were praying this morning as a worship team. And one of the things we asked God to do was work in our own lives that we would pray as if our lives depended on it. Because truthfully, prayer oftentimes is, well, it's considered optional. It's considered if I have time. But then Paul says this. It's, it's so unique. The apostle, he's, he's in house arrest. He doesn't have the ability to move around like he used to. It's been about two years of this. And he says this. Pray for me too. Pray for me too. Now you're praying for all the believers. You're praying for the kingdom. You're praying for all the different things that God puts on your mind, on your heart. But pray for me so that I may use right words boldly. I want to keep telling people that they can be reconciled to God. I know I am a little impaired right now. I can't go where I want to go. I can't do what I want to do. 
But I want to be able to proclaim the gospel because I've seen it change lives. And I want to keep doing that. So in the midst of trial, lousy circumstances, and being restricted, it did not matter to the Apostle Paul what he said. I'm still an ambassador. I'm still God's rep. And wherever I go, I get to tell others of God's amazing grace and powerful power that I have access to. I want to speak boldly as I should. You know, this last week at our prayer gathering, I normally share a verse with those who are there gathered to pray. And this last week I shared from Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. And I'd like to read this to you. This is Paul writing from prison, same prison, only he's writing to a different church. It's in chapter 1, verse 19, and he says this, to the church of Philippi, for I know that as you pray for me, Paul kept asking for it, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me. What he's saying, hey, as you pray for me, and as God's Spirit helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. <laughs> I looked at that. And, and I was just wondering, is it about the prison? Is it that the enemy might be relentless and ruthless? We don't know actually what Paul is hoping to be delivered from. But my guess is it really wasn't the house arrest because he really never mentions that. It's not about that. I think he understood what spiritual warfare was so much about. And he's saying this. He's saying, as you pray for me, as you talk to God on my behalf, as you intercess for me, I know that your prayers, how cool is this? Plus, the Holy Spirit, that combination is going to deliver me. I wonder if you understand the power of prayer. I wonder if you understand why we meet together once a month to literally pray through the leaders, the people, the neighborhoods, our world. There's something about partnering with God. He's certainly capable to move. But, but somehow prayer and the Holy Spirit together gives you unbelievable power. You know, Jesus modeled perfectly for us how to live in a broken world. We are living and learning from Jesus. We all want to, or those that are walking with God, want to live the Jesus life. We want to be able to reflect Jesus well to others as we spend time with him and as we connect with him. He chips away the things that are inside that don't bring himself glory. We saw it, and, and again, we had so much material. I could have gone so many different directions here, but I loved it when Jesus was being tempted when he was here on this planet in the very beginning of his ministry and the enemy was relentless. And yet Jesus stood up to the enemy in God's power, using God's word, resisting the enemy and watching him curtail it. You saw it in, in the garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, that garden. And, and you saw Jesus, again, pouring out his heart, recognizing one of the hardest things in all the world was to go to the cross. But his love pushed each one of us. In Paul's thinking, standing implies strength that comes from divine truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and assurance of salvation. This result will be stability of character and confidence that we can weather every storm. You see, Satan won't win the war. 
He's not going to. But he certainly does win battles because we are not aware of his authority in this dark and evil world. Let me just wrap up some things. I like to read verse 21 through 24 as he literally just ends this letter. To bring you up to date, Tychius will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. I'm going to stop there. Tychius. He's not really well known. He didn't write any books of the Bible. It seems to me as you look at some other parts of the Scripture, all he did was really hang out with Paul. His reputation is a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that same reputation? This guy I didn't know much about, but I was pretty excited. You know, yesterday, my wife and I went to a funeral at the Palatine Chapel where I used to be the pastor. And there was unbelievable outpouring of love for a family and for a saint. The man's name that had the funeral, his name was Brian Davis. My guess is you probably have never heard of Brian Davis. Brian Davis, faithfully, while I was there, was part of our worship team. But he didn't talk much wasn't an elder or a deacon or a trustee. He was a teacher at Oak Park River Forest High School. He started off as a lawyer and decided that wasn't what he wanted to do. He wanted to teach. And so for the last 21 years, he was there, faithfully serving God in the marketplace. Friday night was a bad night weather-wise, if you remember. Over 700 people lined up at the visitation. The funeral yesterday had well over 400 people from a guy that most people never even knew. And the story over and over and over was he was a godly man. He loved people. He always encouraged them. He gave them great hugs and said, thank you for your ministry, for serving, for caring. Wow. I don't know how Brian was welcomed in glory, but I kind of think it was one of those ticker tape parades. He was a tickiest. He wasn't anybody that, that really had a whole lot of fanfare on this life. But he loved God, hating the center of attention, but just faithfully loving his wife, loving his daughter, encouraging people along the way. I can't even tell you the multitudes of people that know Jesus because of Brian's faithful testimony. Paul. Paul was taken care of by this guy, his physical needs. And Paul wanted to send him to make sure that the Ephesian church was doing okay. Paul, the servant of God, wanted that church to know that God was working even while he was in jail. He wanted to know that, well, he's encouraged on his journey in spite of his circumstances. I think realistically, Paul was modeling how to be strong in relationship, in the power of his might, how to put on the full armor, and how to pray, how to pray. 
he ends with a benediction. And normally we end in a benediction in our services, but we're going to do a little bit early today. And I'm going to read it from, John, from um, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. It's Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 23. Goodbye, friends. Love mixed with faith be yours from God the Father and from the Master, Jesus Christ. Pure grace and nothing but grace be with all of you who love our Master, Jesus. Let me pray. Father, would you meet us where we're at? I just have a sense, God, that, that there are some who are some very new to the faith. And I'm pretty sure they don't understand how relentless our enemy is. And Lord, there are some who have been part of the faith for 40 and 50 and 60 years. And we somehow forget how relentless the enemy is. We don't put on the armor. We forget about a relationship with you and think that just by being casual, well, we'll make it. Lord, my guess is this. You desire deeply to encourage this church that in spite of circumstances and situations, we can have joy. I thank you for your love for us, for the way you set us up to not only just exist, but to thrive. May each one of us just even take time today and just ask some hard questions. Do we need to grow in our relationship with you? Do we need to experience your power differently? Are we neglecting putting on this armor? Or are we living defeated lives? Father, do we pray like our lives and the lives of this church depend on it? We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take